Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is as he's revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler and we are continuing our trek through the book of Job. We're entering into chapter 15 and we are once again reacquainted with the words of Eliphaz, the first friend of the three in this long cycle of discourse with Job. And if you remember, Eliphaz the first time around was appealing more to tradition in his assertion that Job had sinned. And we see a little bit of that here, but it's it's interesting some of the points he makes. But without further ado, let us read the first six verses of chapter 15. And then answered Eliphaz the Temanite, and said, Should a wise utter vain knowledge, till his belly with and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk, or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou casteth off fear, and restrainest prayer before God. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee. So we're coming out swinging once again in dealing with Job. <clears throat> As he continues to offer counsel to Job in the midst of his suffering and his anguish, we find just as Satan is an accuser in Job chapters 1 and 2, that we find Eliphaz is likewise a lowercase a accuser on Job. But it's interesting theologically because there's there's an interesting point that he makes that I think is worth considering on a personal level while not necessarily being applicable to Job. That a lot of what the friends have to say to Job is not bad theology. It's just it's just irrelevant. It's just not applicable. You couldn't apply this honestly to Job. It's disingenuous to apply this to Job. But the accusation that he makes, lock, stock, and barrel, is that thou casteth off fear and restraineth prayer before God in these opening verses, is that thou hast cast off your fear of God. And that is interesting because um, <clears throat> the fear of God is something that 
Christians today have a weird relationship with sometimes. Um, I've had Christians tell me that it's not biblical to talk about the fear of God because we have Jesus. And that's something I'll get into a little bit later. But right off the bat, we have, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should a wise man utter vain knowledge, utter knowledge that is empty, that is in vain? And so we're, of course, referring to Eliphaz's perception of the last three chapters that we have been marching through for what seems like months now. <laughs> that we have been slowly marching through this very long piece of dialogue, not monologue, my mistake, from chapters 12 through 14 from Job. And Eliphaz looks at all of that and says, it is vain knowledge. Should he reason with unprofitable talk? Essentially, Job's reasoning behind these three chapters is useless. That all of the questions he asks and all of the statements he makes about God, about wisdom, about the hope of resurrection, as what we've seen the last couple of weeks, is useless. That's quite the the statement here. <clears throat> And of course, this is, I don't think, applicable to Job, because what profit is there in staking hope in the fact that God is not finished? That God will keep you until the appointed time, and he will raise you. There is profit in this. Do not misunderstand me there. That There is, in fact, profit in what Job has uttered. And while it's hard, and it's harsh, and it's definitely not a bunch of passages that we like to read at weddings... There is still a place for lament. After all, we have that ever-famous psalm that begins with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you want to find some gut-wrenching laments, turn to the book of Psalms. There's about half the psalms are, God is good and I'm happy for it, and the other half is about, I want to die. Life is hard. God has abandoned me. Psalm 88 ends with the phrase, I am alone, and my companions have become darkness. You have about half the psalms that are in a minor key. And so there is a place in the liturgy of God for lament. As a matter of fact, Jesus laments in the book of Matthew. He laments the fact that Jerusalem has slaughtered the prophets, the city that slaughters the prophets, and that the people of Jerusalem have not believed. There is a place for lament in our pursuit of God. <clears throat> that we are absolutely encouraged to weep and mourn before the face of God. To tell God how we actually feel. That we don't have to only give God the happies. That God is not afraid of our intense emotions. We can't scare God with our sorrows. And so to say that Job's lament is unprofitable is disingenuous. And actually, I think, portrays a somewhat of a low view of God. While there is absolutely a place for evaluating whether or not wise men are uttering vain knowledge, that is not applicable to Job. And in the case of Job, it illustrates a low view of God in the case of Eliphaz, which 
serves as a bit of a caveat, in my estimation, to ourselves. Is do we look at the language, the languishing of others? Do we look at the the anguish and the sorrow, and do we just make things worse with statements like this? Do we endeavor to turn people away from being honest with God? With trying to commune with God when life hurts? That's a that's a good question to ask yourself. <clears throat> Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? The whole purpose of this speech that we've just had from Job is that he can't do any good, but it is all on God. And so it's almost like you weren't listening, Eliphaz. Like, you missed the whole point here. And then we get to verse 4. Thou casteth, you castest off fear, and restrainest prayer before God. And that is interesting, because the fear of God, as I said, is kind of a odd topic for us sometimes. So when we, you've had, had uh, a lot of people have done a disservice to this idea over the years. You've had a lot of pulpit beaters that screamed at people till the cows came home that you need to fear God. <clears throat> and it ended up having the opposite results, and you had a lot of people that began to see God as this, this angry old man in the sky that just wants to throw lightning at people. And there was no emphasis on the other attributes of God, but it was all justice. It was all his omnipotence. It was all, you need to be afraid of him. And some Christians have struggled to reconcile those passages with 1 John chapter 4. Which reads, in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love also his brother. And we're told throughout First John that God is love, and that if we love it is because we have love God. God has loved us. And that if we cannot love people around us, how can we love God? And it's all on love. And that love casts out all fear. <clears throat> and so we're left with a difficulty to harmonize these different verses because for every verse like First John 4.18, there is Psalm 112. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 begins with that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You have all of this. Psalm 19 says the fear of the Lord is clean. The Psalms tell us that the fear of the Lord is chaste, that it will endure forever. We have all of these statements throughout the Old Testament about the fear of the Lord. And yet we're also told in 1 John 4.18 that perfect love casts out fear. And then that love comes from God. That we're told in Second Timothy one seven that we are not given a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. And so how do we how do we reconcile that? Many people have struggled with this, and it's led to some interesting challenges with how people see God, with trying to emphasize one attribute over the others. You know, 
you know, I've talked to Christians who have told me that to fear God is unbiblical because perfect love casts out fear. And they just um, disconnect from all of these Old Testament passages, even some of the New Testament. Because if we go to Ephesians, Paul instructs the men of the church to raise up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Likewise, we have Philippians 2.12. As soon as I find it. Alright, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And this is, Paul is in prison at this point. This is his letter to the church of Philippi. And it is one of the letters that does not contain a rebuke of the church, which is saying something. This is, this is considered to be Paul's most encouraging letter, despite the fact that he was chained to two guards day and night. And verse 12, he writes, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So despite the fact that you have, obe you have appeared to obey when I'm there, but do so even more when I'm not there. Continue to do, do so. And what are they to do? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So we're told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That there is, there, there's, there seems a disconnect at first glance because we're told some places to fear and other places not to fear. And the conclusion that I come to is that there are some fears that are good and there are some fears that are not. There are some f fears that are to be considered holy and there are some fears that are to be considered sinful. Sins that should be cast out as we are made perfect in the love of God. But that there are some fears that we are to hold on to. That we are to regard in a different way. So back to Job 15. Because the accusation of El Eliphaz is that Job has cast off fear. But one of the things with Hebrew poetry is that each line kind of builds off the last. Everything's kind of said in twos or more. It's like reading in stereo. So, thou castest off fear, first line. Second line, and restrainest prayer before God. And so we have to take those two together. That is part of the qualifier. The first st statement is that thou cast off fear in what way? By restraining prayer before God. And that is the distinction. That is what makes the fear that Eliphaz diagnoses as being sinful. 
is that it is a fear that to cast off fear is sinful because it is restrained his prayer before God that the fear or lack of fear that Eliphaz is identifying is more of a sense of ignorance of the gravity of God <clears throat> that is how we wrestle wrestle through all these passages that despite the fact that we're told that perfect love casts out fear and we're also told to hold on to some fear that we are to fear God yes but it's the fear of God that manifests in a certain way and that's part of how we we test these things are we fearing God because we don't want to go to hell and there's a lack of assurance because that is not what we're called to do as believers but to fear God for the believer is to simply recognize him for who he is. Turn with me to Psalm 102. My mistake, Psalm 103. <laughs> Verse 10, He has not dealt with us, after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities for as the heaven is high above the earth so great is his mercy towards them that fear him as far as the east is from the west so far hath he removed our transgressions from us like as a father pitieth his children so the Lord pitieth them that fear him for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust as for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. So we're told to fear God, at the same time we're being told that we've been forgiven by God. That to fear God is placed in dialogue with who he is and what he has done for us. And while there are times that to be known by God, like we see in Psalm 139, Thou hast searched me and known me, there are times where that can be a very scary thought. That God knows me more intimately and fully than I probably know myself. That there is no chasm of my heart that is hidden from him. That can be a very sobering reality. And yet, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. That he, is, he knows what we are. And to fear God is to know what he is. Is to put things in the proper perspective to base our actions accordingly. To fear God is not to have this ongoing terror that on a bad day he will throw lightning at me, but to fear God is to remember the difference between God and myself. That although the word became flesh and dwelt among us, God is in heaven and we are on earth. That there is a difference in our beingness, if you will. God is not like me, and I am not like God. But the God who is not like me 
saw fit to become like me, that he would forgive me for what I am. That he saw the best in me and then died to save me from it. That is what the fear of God does to the believer. That we don't fear God because he may change his mind and send us to hell. But we fear God because we recognize him for what he is, not as we would prefer him to be. That the God who rules with a rod of iron and the God who beckons sinners to come are the same. And both of those are mine to experience in Christ. That just as God rules and reigns with a rod of iron, as it says in Psalm 2, as it says, he, make, he shall make the enemies of him, his enemies his footstool. So we're also told in Psalm 23 that he is my shepherd. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So despite the fact that God could wipe us all out and we be, would be vindicated in doing so, he has, been, he has been pleased to bring people into his house, to, to prepare a table before sinners and say, Eat. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. And this is the God of Job. That while Eliphaz accuses Job of restricting communion with God, of turning away from the fear of God, that is not what we see in Job. We see a lament that man is brief. And God is eternal. We see a man dieth and wasteth away. Man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? We see, O oh, that thou wouldst hide me in the grave, that thou wouldst keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldst appoint a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou numberest my steps. Dost, not, dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. And surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of its place. The waters wear the stones. Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. <clears throat> this is not a lack of communion. A lack of communion. This is not a lack of the fear of God. This is the right fear of God. It is a fear that, in the sense that God is just. God is powerful. God is able to deliver me from this place that I'm in. And so if I remain here, it is because God in his justice has a purpose for it. And there is nothing I can do to stay his hand in that. There is nothing I can do to expedite this, this suffering. All I can do is cling to the God 
who can change these circumstances, to the God who will deliver me according to his time. <clears throat> this is not casting off fear that restraint is prayer before God. It is a fear that leads to prayer before God. <clears throat> but when fear does cast off fear, but when casting off fear does restrain prayer before God, Eliphaz says that thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. And that word crafty leads us straight back to Genesis. Because that Hebrew word is exactly how we're introduced to the serpent. The serpent was more subtle, as the King James says, or other translations say more crafty than all the creatures. It's the same exact word. Thou chooses the tongue of the serpent when casting off fear leads to the restraining of prayer. Eliphaz says, Thou chooses the tongue of the crafty, and thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Thine own lips testify against thee. Which reminds me of the words of Paul, My mouth, my, my throat is an open grave. And so despite the fact that Eliphaz is wrong in that these are in applying these to Job, there is much that we can grapple with in this text for ourselves. Have I cast off fear that I should not have? Is my lack of fear in a certain area actually a sign of ignorance? Than awareness. Am I more aware of who God is now, having cast off that fear, than I was before? Am I working out my salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who worketh in me according to his good pleasure? These are these are questions that are that are deserving of our of our time of our of our study of our effort of taking inventory of what we are becoming because when we do not fear God we run the risk of making a God that's more appealing to us of making a version of God that is more appealing to what we want him to be in Psalm 115 is a staggering rebuke of those times. Verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throats. They that make them are like unto them, and so is everyone that trusteth in them.
they that make them are like unto them. Essentially, we become what we worship. And so as we commune with God, we are being shaped by God. When we do not restrain prayer before God and we go to the God who truly is, we are being shaped by him from one state of glory to another. And as we go into the next week, let us be shaped by God in prayer, in devotion, in communion with the God who says to fear him, but also says that I have poured out my love upon you. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.